The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, fam, I have a question before we jump in. My question is this. As we talk about God, last week we looked at the scale and size and scope of God. And in this series, God is, we want to examine the attributes of God, but in addition to the attributes, one of the things that I think can oftentimes escape us is that God is a person. He is a being. And the Bible talks about the many emotions that God has. The Bible talks about uh, a lot of attributes that God carries in his very presence. So I, I want to ask you a question. This is a non-rhetorical question, so you can blurt it out or raise your hand, whatever you feel comfortable doing. But when you think of the personality traits of God, what are the personality traits that you think of? You know those Myers-Briggs tests, right? Some of you are INTJs. Those are Darth Lord Sidious's. Some of you are ENT whatevers. What are the personality traits that you think of when you think of God? Kind, okay, it's a good one. Love, what else? Merciful, wise, judge. How about this? Try to tell me a personality trait of God without using a churchy word. Amazing, powerful, perfect, on fleek. I don't even know what that means. Do you know what that means? On fleek. Okay. Uh, Anyone, anyone else have any non-church words that they think could, the goat, the greatest of all time. Yes, Michael Jordan. Yeah, okay, the goat. You know what's weird is that I've never heard some of the, the words that I think of when we, when we ask about other people's personalities, things that I've never heard attributed to God are funny. Isn't that weird? Funny. God's, God's fun. The duck-billed platypus. You know what? That's, I'm, next service, I'm going to put up some pictures of crazy animals that God made. You know what other word I never hear attributed to God? Sarcastic. Isn't that a weird one? And some of you are already thinking, wait a second. There is no way that God is sarcastic. In the book of Job... Job was talking and talking and talking and talking. And then finally in Job chapter 38, God looks to Job and he says, Oh, I forgot. You were there when I put the stars in the sky. Oh, I forgot. You were there when I was carving out the seas and making all these animals. And then God just moves right on. But as a person who speaks sarcasm as a second language, I thought, Lord, you are my maker. There are many words that are used to describe God. Of course, the one that is probably most prominent is that God is love. Another word in the Bible is that God is holy. Holy means set apart. He is different from us. God is just. He is the perfection of what is right and wrong. He is true. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, His work is perfect. His ways are always just, a faithful God, without bias. He is righteous and true. God is joy. 
God is joy. I looked up, if you Google pictures of Jesus, the majority of pictures of Jesus that you find, the paintings of European mullet wearing Jesus, are something like this. And I, I thought, you know what's weird is that I don't see too many pictures of Jesus painted looking like this. So I Googled Jesus smiling, and, and I, I didn't even want to put up the pictures because it felt sacrilegious. Because I think they put too much veneer in his mouth. He had too much of a, uh, a goofy-looking uh, demeanor. And besides the fact that I don't think Jesus looked like almost any of the pictures that are out there, uh, it kind of threw me off. But when you think about Jesus, we oftentimes think of Jesus being the somber, serious teacher, not smiling. There was a miniseries that came out in 1999, the Jesus miniseries. And a scene caught me off guard when I first watched it because Jesus and his disciples were gathering around a well. And at one point, Jesus splashes Peter and they all start laughing and splashing each other and just having a good time. How, how is it that we've gotten to the point where Jesus is only a serious character. Jesus, the Son of God, and, and this is next week. I'm just presupposing that Jesus is God in the flesh. Next week is the Trinity. This week I want to look at the personality of Jesus, the personality of God the Father, the personality of the Spirit, and what it means for us. Is it hard for you to imagine Jesus laughing? Like, I wonder what his laugh sounds like. Because some of you in here, I know your laugh. I could pick your laugh out of a crowd, Derek. Just right out of a crowd. My wife used to not go to the movies with me early in our relationship because she was embarrassed of my laugh. She says it's too booming. <laughs> so I've tried to appease her and stifle a laugh like some of you do with your sneezes. So now my laugh is sort of like a cackle. Is it weird to think about the fact that God smiles and laughs? Jesus said in a prayer, now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they might have my joy completed in them. Jesus came to give us his type of joy. Yet the pictures of him smiling are far and few between. God is creative very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning God created. God is kind and tender. The Bible says that God is jealous. God is artistic. In Ecclesiastes 3, it's a song made famous by the birds. There's a time to sing and mourn and a time to dance. I've never seen a picture of God the Father dancing. I don't know what kind of dance he does. But I know that he invented art and dance. I don't know what type of dance Jesus did. I went and looked up ancient Hebrew dances. We knew there was dancing because David danced before the Lord in his underwear. And God was pumped about it. But what did Jesus dance like? Was he a good dancer? The Carlton? The Carlton? I don't think that some of the young people know what the Carlton is, but if I went like this and like, ha, ha, they don't know what that is. See, then did Jesus do that? Does he know that? Obviously. Okay, so, so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to start reading a bunch of scriptures. And I want you to think and ponder 
about the emotions and the personality traits of God, because next week as we go into the Trinity, it's all going to come together. So this week is some psychology of God. Last week was the, the scientific scope and scale of God. And next week is deep theology about how God can possibly work as a father, son, spirit in one being. So Lord, speak to us. I pray that we would not put you in a human created box, that we would not paint you with a paintbrush of these lofty, far away, distant, grumpy, or angry pictures alone, that we would see you as you've revealed yourself in Scripture. The God of joy, the God of love, the God of kindness, the God of art, the God of dance, the God of beauty, the God who is tender in some moments and jealous in others. Lord, help us to not try to paint you in to something that you never intended to be painted into. Help us, Lord, to see you as you've revealed yourself and let us be humbled by it. In Jesus' name. There's a great uh, passage in Isaiah. It's one of my favorite passages regarding what God looks like. And early on in my Christian life, this passage enthralled me. Because it w it's about Isaiah seeing the vision of God in the year King Uzziah died. And these angelic beings, these cherubim, are screaming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And in my mind, I always pictured it like one side would chant it out and it would shake the foundations. And then the other side would chant it out and it would shake the foundations. And there's smoke emanating out from the throne. And there's peals of lightning and brightness and glory shining from the throne room of God. This is what I fell in love with when I became a follower of Jesus. This massive picture of God. Because when I was growing up, God in my mind was just what culture had taught me, which is what? When I say God, what are the images you think of first in your mind? What do you think of? Does God have a beard or no? Yes. Is it a blonde beard, red beard, black beard, gray beard? White beard. Is he wearing Levi's with suspenders? No. Well, he's wearing a big robe. This is the image we think of. When, we, when I say God... 90% of Americans think of Gandalf. That should be weird to us. Because the Bible says that God is spirit. And we, if we're going to worship him, must worship in spirit and truth. And, and not only is God spirit, we have God the Father, who all things come from. We have Jesus, who is God the Son, that all things come through. And then we have God the Spirit, who all things come by. And it's interesting that right there in the beginning, there's God saying, I'm creating. And the Spirit of God then hovering over the waters. And I'm, I'm thinking about this Gandalf the Grey God. I used to literally imagine in my life that God and Satan would be boxing. And Satan was always the red-skinned, horned, tail, pitchfork guy. And I used to think, oh man, if I'm doing something bad, Satan must have really gotten God good. But this is not the picture that the Bible paints. Satan is a serpent, a snake who holds no chance against God. He rebelled against God and God flicked him off of the mountain. Flick is probably a generous use of the word in Hebrew, but cast him down. So which 
personality traits are we to think of when we think of God? He is holy. Holy means set apart, set apart, set apart. When the angels are saying, holy, 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 they're saying he is different from anything you've experienced. So I need to say this from the outset. We can only try to use human language so that we can understand him. But he is holy, different from us. There is no being like him in all of creation. And this is shown, I think, most poignantly in his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says that God is love. He is love. And I've spent 20 years thinking about this phrase. What does it mean that God is love? Because we know what love is of a sort, human love, right? You know somebody that you love. Some of you use that word very generously. You love pizza and you love your wife in the same sentence. What does it mean that God is love? I, I was thinking about this in regards to his personality trait. The fact that he cares for people. The fact that he's jealous. The Bible has many, many passages in the Old Testament that talk about God's jealousy for his bride, his jealousy for his people. You know, you know what makes people most jealous? When you deeply love someone and then they turn away from you. I don't get jealous when someone I barely know does something I don't care about. I get jealous when someone I love is, is potentially being drawn away Or when someone else is looking at someone I love that is my bride. Jealousy. Why? Because she's my wife. Not yours. Mine. So jealousy comes in. God, in his perfect love, is jealous for you to be with him. Now this is, for me, the most important personality trait of God. The fact that God is love, which we're going to talk about in in theological terms next week, exists because he is three persons in one being. God's very nature is to love. Everything that comes out of him comes out of love. Even his anger, his anger comes out of love. There's a reason why when you get in an argument with somebody, if you care deeply for them, you are also more likely to be more angry with them when anger arises. But but this idea that God is love, coupled with the fact that Hebrews 13 tells us he never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same loving being who who will relentlessly pursue you with that love. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean that in our lives when we are totally failing? If you've been here for any amount of time, you know know this. You know that I will tell you... that God's love for you is not dependent on you. God's love is a one-way love. He cannot help but to pour out love because it's who he is. It's not what he does. His love is totally unselfish. His love drives and calls people into an ocean of mercy and grace. There is nothing that you can do to escape his love if he is targeting you with it. And this is who the Bible says that he targets. For God so loved what? The world. So I'm going to ask you a question. Does God love sinners? That's good. I'm glad that 30% of you said yes. There's a famous preacher 
named D.L. Moody, who was in Chicago. There's a Bible college named after him now. When he was a young preacher, he met a preacher over in the UK, Morehouse, uh, Moorhead, Morehouse, British guy. And, uh, and they had met for a brief moment. And D.L. Moody, without thinking, said, hey, if you ever make it to Chicago, let me know. I'd love to have you preach in my pulpit. And when D.L. Moody walked away from this conversation, he thought, I just invited somebody to preach in my pulpit, and I've never heard this man preach ever. So he was worried, but he thought, you know what? He'll probably never make it across because this is in the 1800s. But then one day he got a telegram from this preacher and said, I'm in New York. I'll be in Chicago on Sunday to preach at your church. And D.L. Moody, worried, said, I, okay, Lord, I'm just going to take this before the elders. And the elders said, let's do this. Let's let him preach one service. And if it's okay, we'll let him keep on preaching for the week. D.L. Moody wasn't able to be in town for the first sermon. So the elders were there. This guest preacher who no one had heard because there were no podcasts, there was no YouTube, stepped into the pulpit and began preaching. D.L. Moody received a message halfway through the week that it was going really well. They had heard his first message and they decided, we're going to let him keep preaching. And D.L. Moody's wife <laughs> wrote to D.L. and said, he's doing a great job. He's preaching about God's love, that God loves sinners, and it's captivating. D.L. Moody promptly returned back to his church to hear what this thing was, because you see, at the time, D.L. Moody did not believe that God loved sinners. At the time, he had been preaching for years. He was still a young preacher, and he said, this is not right. God does not love sinners. He's angry with sinners. So D.L. Moody, when he got to to his wife face to face, said, okay, tell me how it is really. And she told her husband, he is a much better preacher than you. So D.L. went and sat in a service and Morehouse preached from John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Now in the Bible, this phrase, the world, refers to usually bad things. We are not of this world. Don't follow the ways of this world. And right here in John 3.16, for God loved the world. If this doesn't say, if this doesn't speak to you what God's quality of love is, I don't know what else does. The way that he loved the world is that he gave his only son. When we ask ourselves, what is love? If we don't go directly to the fact that God himself gave up his one and only son for you so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If that does not come to your mind when you think of love, you're, you're missing the depth of what love can be. And, and I want to put this in a couple of different ways. One is this. When God looked at you, he said, I see how much you cost. You cost one death of my perfect son. If you're wondering what love is, it's I will give up my son for you. That was the purchase price. If you were on a rack in a store, it says one perfect savior is how much this person costs. Yet we just throw around love like it's this willy-nilly thing. We say, yeah, God is love. God is love. God loves you. What that means is that God died for you. And when I ask you, when I call you as a church, when I call us to love others, what I mean is 
die to yourself to lift others up. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, are relentlessly pursuing you and me with love. His anger comes out of love. His jealousy is rooted in love. He does not change. He does not stop loving you. He does not waver in his love for you. When you are soaring high in the sky of faithfulness, he loves you 100%. And as you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, when you're in the darkest depths of unbelief and failure, he loves you in Jesus 100%. So, what does this have to do with his personality? Who's the most loving person that you know? Human being. Think of them in your mind. The most loving human being that you know. And I want you to think about the traits that that person has. What makes them loving? I'm guessing it's that they're always there. That they're present. That, that they listen to you. That they respond to you with grace and kindness. I'm guessing it's a type of person that will lend you a hand when you fall down. It's a type of person that puts your own, your well-being above their well-being. Yesterday I had this incredible uh, opportunity to see this. And I asked if I could use this in a sermon illustration. Um, so many of you know Jesse and Don Nunnally. Jesse's the big guy with the big Viking beard. Sits over here with his wife Don, who's a tiny girl with no beard. Um, yesterday they got in a motorcycle accident. They were going down the 41 and a car pulled out in front of them and they slammed on the motorcycle brakes, lost control of the motorcycle, fishtailed, sending them skipping along the road 99 feet is what the police measured. Um, the car took off and they, someone else that was there, there were a bunch of witnesses, followed the car. They got the license plate number and when the sheriffs ran it, they found out that the license plate did not match the car. Stolen license plate. And they went to the hospital. Don blacked out. Uh, Jesse has a compound fracture in his arm that he's having surgery on or probably just getting out of surgery right now at Tampa General. They had zero brain damage, brain trauma. They, ha they have both have stitches on their face. Jesse's got a new lip. By the time I saw him, he had the cardiac Kardashian lip filler in, 12 stitches across his lip. Don had stitches on her nose, and she's going to have to have some dental work. And when I got there, I walked in, and I said, I got to go pray with Jesse, because I'm sure he is worried sick. And Jesse was in there with a collar on his neck, because they hadn't gotten the scans back yet. And I walk in, and I said, Jesse, I came here to pray for you, because I know you don't care at all about how you're feeling, that you're worried sick about Don. They hadn't seen each other. They were literally one wall apart in the ER. They couldn't see each other. Can you go get the fire alarm thing? Thanks, brother. Um, and I, I said, Jesse, you're worried about Don. And all I saw was big Viking beard and the collar pushing his beard up and the arm still very broken, just tears. And he said, yes, I'm, I'm worried about Don. I'm just going to pray for that. The doctors are going to heal your arm up. You're going to get all stitched up in your face. You're going to be just as ugly as you were before. But I'm going to pray for your heart with Don. 
And then I, I prayed for him. And then I walked into the room next door where Don was. And I could have been five steps for me. I walked into Don. And you could tell she was worried about Jesse. So I, I prayed for Don. And then I, I just took pictures of them. I said, here's a picture. And I, I look it, that's him. And I have this picture of Jesse. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. But he has a, he, I said, try to do a thumbs up for your wife. And just with his bloody, stitched up face, his Kardashian lip, his compounded weird arm, and his beard furled out, he just smiled. And then I went and showed Don. She said, oh, thank you. And then she went to sleep. <laughs> I took a picture of her sleeping and showed it to Jesse. Neither of them cared about themselves. Don potentially had a concussion. She ended up not. Brain scans came back clear. Jesse was in the neck thing because they didn't know what, what had gone on with his neck because he had gone furling down the road. They, they weren't concerned. They weren't asking the doctor, well, how is my surgery going to be? When am I going to have surgery? Is my head okay? They were each asking about the other one. Is my wife, is she okay? And Don's, is my husband, is he going to be okay? This is what biblical love looks like. We can't capture the essence of God's outrageous, uh, unimaginable love, but we can see glimpses of it when we watch human stories like that unfold. And we as a people can enter into this type of love that God has. We as a people, we as a people can show mercy because God has shown mercy to us. We as a people can be faithful because God is faithful to us. But if you forget that God is a person, if you treat him like a distant being, you may not be able to understand and experience it. We, I'm a person. How many of you have thought when we say, Lord, touch this person's heart to change them, that God would come to somebody and go, yes. You know what it means for me to lay my hands on someone's arm. We know what it means if we're going to say, I will carry you through this. If I tell you I will carry you through something, or if you can't get up, I will pick you up. You in your mind instantly think, oh, well, he's going to come over and he's going to pick me up. But with God, we don't. Why? Well, we can't see God. We can't feel God. You know what's interesting? This is, this is going to point us right to the, where I want to kind of land it today. We are the body of Christ. The, the simply put, that means whatever Jesus did in his body, we should do now here. When Jesus was walking around the earth, he did things. He cared for people. He loved people. He sat down and ate breakfast with people. He drew people in. He was sociable with people, even though I think he was introverted some of the time. because He went and hid on mountains. What would it look like if instead of seeing God as this far off person solely sitting on a throne, we recognize that God is far more complex than we could imagine. Yes, he is on his throne. Yes, his spirit is hovering. Yes, his spirit dwells in believers. Yes, the son of God reigns and rules. Yes, Jesus smiles and cried at some point and laughed and probably danced. Yes, all of those things. It's not that God is just one aspect of what we see in the Bible because he is a complex, holy, separate, different person. But what God tells us to do is to be the body of Christ now. 
So I'm going to be starting to unroll these family values because we call ourselves the chapel family. You guys have seen these things, right? In this family, we fill in the blank. And, and I'm going to try to do it using as few church words as possible because I don't want to be a church that only uses church words to try to get other church people here. I want to be a church that can communicate the principles of God in ground-level ways so that people will see us and say, their God must be like that because of what they're doing. The Bible has a word for that, a verse for that. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And I'm going to just, we're going to practice this this week. Because Jesse and Don, they're a young single couple. They're going to have a bunch of medical bills. They teach taekwondo here and in various places throughout the Brandon Hillsborough area. And I asked for permission. And here's how I asked Don. I said, Don, here's the deal. I've been wanting to introduce some chapel family rules based on who God has saved us and made us to be. And we know God is love, but we know that his love is not just this frilly, emotive thing. His love does something. So I said, Don, before I ask you this question, I need to ask you another question. Don, do you freely receive the grace of Jesus, the greatest gift of the world? It's a bait and switch I did as a pastor. Yes, Ryan. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. The first family value that I want to introduce you, and these are in no specific order, is this. In the family of God, according to the book of Acts, chapter 2, love takes on a very specific manifestation. When someone has a need, other people in the body sell something to help meet that need. So, in this chapel family, what we do is when someone has a need, we look around our house and we say, what can I sell to help this person in need? I don't want you to just take the easy way out and be like, oh, I've got extra money in my bank account. I mean, if you want to do that, by all means, do that. But I I do want you this week to look around and say, someone's going to have a need. They're a young couple. They're not booming rich. As a matter of fact, I think they're just booming young couple. But I want us to look around, and I'm going to look around my house and say, what can I sell to help this couple in need? And I'm going to take the money, and I'm going to give it to them. And if you don't know them, what you can do is you can take the money, put it in your account, or drop in the offering in an envelope, say, Jesse and Don Fund. Or if it's a check, you write at the bottom, the Jesse and Don Fund. And some of you are thinking, wait a second. What about when I go through something? Well, guess what? If we're a chapel family, what we're going to do is, oh, you have a need? I'm going to sell something. I'm going to give something up to meet your need. And that's a small picture of what God did. God's love said, I see your need, human. I'm going to give up my son to meet your need. And we do this over and over and over and over again. As the the body of Christ, the reason that God's personality of love is so crucial and primary to us is because without this, not I love God, not I love singing about God, not I love learning facts that are related to God. No, I love God because God's love came to me first. And he's filled me with his love. And this love now makes me want to love others. Now, if you're here and you're like, I don't know these people. I don't want to love them. That's fine. You're under no obligation. This is a free country still. (laughs) But I am saying this, that if we can't do this with our own family, I don't know why anyone would want to go to church. 
I don't know why anyone would believe us when we tell them that God is love, that God is kind, that God provides, that God is faithful, that God never changes, that God is present, that God is all of those big church words, omnipresent, always there, all-knowing. I don't know why someone would believe us. The Bible even tells us if we are not loving, they won't know whose disciples we are. There's a prominent Christian who I'm not going to tell you who it is, but they were at the prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. with a very prominent imam. This imam is a leader of a mosque of uh, what's estimated to be 30,000 Muslims. And this very prominent Christian has spoken very ill about those in the Muslim community. And at the prayer breakfast in D.C., the imam asked this pastor and said, why, why are you so anti-Muslim? You say such mean and hateful things about Islam. And the imam said, don't you want me to become a Christian? And the preacher said, yes. And the imam said, then why won't you love me? Like Jesus loved the people that he was around. And they spoke for a while. <laughs> and then the imam said, can we take a picture together? <laughs> and this Christian prominent man, they put their arms around each other and had a picture taken on the imam's phone, and the imam said, see this picture where they're smiling with their arms around each other? Every time you post something negative about my religion and hateful, I'm going to post this picture on your Facebook comments. And I thought, geez, it's kind of wild that a Muslim imam had to teach a pastor about the love of Jesus. We have an opportunity today to teach this world Jesse and Don love people deeply. Jesse's been serving in fourth and fifth grade for years. He was our children's assistant director at one point. Don is, leads our nursery. They both come to every single um, Twin Creeks Chapel gathering that we've had. They've been to every single one. The thing that Don said when I was leaving the hospital, says, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to Twin Creeks. Literally with half a tooth and one tooth just flying out like a chiclet in a string. I was like, no, Don, you're not. Well, I think I can make it. If you come, I will kick you out. She said she's going to try to come to service this morning. Get out of your mind. I hope they're watching right now. Oh, good. Are we going to love them? Doesn't mean that there's not other people that need the love in here. But you know what? If you don't fill out your connect cards like we ask you, how are the world are we ever going to know? On Tuesday, we pray over our connect cards. We have two, three, one. If you have a need, we want to be the family. Because Don and Jesse, they have a bunch of friends who don't yet know Jesus. They've shared the gospel. They know the gospel in their minds. Maybe what they're waiting to see is what an act of love that gives this dim reflection of God's personality looks like. Where we say, let's help out this couple who teaches Taekwondo, has loved our kids for years, um, probably does not have the money. I'm 100% sure does not have the money to cover the medical bills that are going to be traipsing into their life so what will we give up what will we sell to help them the reason i ask you to sell something or to give something up is because that's what god did precisely for you and for me this is god's core essence of his personality everything else you read in the bible comes from this flow of love everything his anger his jealousy his regrets his pain his sorrows his protection, his faithfulness, it all flows because he is actively colliding love 
into this world over and over and over and over again, never ceasing. So, will you become a little piece of God's body this week? That's all I'm asking. I did want to go through like the Myers-Briggs stuff originally and then this stuff and look at that, but then this whole thing happened with Jesse and Don and kind of messed me up on the inside. And I said, you know what? I'm going to talk about love and how we can do it. So do it. As soon as you get something, text me, call me. Say, I got something for Jesse and Don, and I'm just going to funnel things over to them. If you want to write it to the chapel for your giving stuff, you could do that, and I'm just going to funnel it right over to Jesse and Don. I'm going to laugh when they end up coming out of this with more money than they went into it with. I think that's the type of family that we are. God is love, a very different kind of love, holy and high and lifted up and all the way on the ground in our dining rooms with us. God is a love that is powerful and awe-inspiring and terrifying to behold. And God is also a love that will comfort us with the most tender voice in our most vulnerable moments. And this God, who is love, lives in you and lives in me. Let's pray. Lord, let it be true of us. Those of us in here who call you our Lord, our Savior, let it be true of us that we would love like you loved, that we would show mercy as you show mercy, that we would care for as you care for. Because, Lord, these are the small samples, these are the appetizers that those outside of the church family get to see that you will use to draw people in. Lord, they're not going to be drawn in by our, our memes. They're not going to be drawn in by the people bullhorning condemnation on the street corners. They're not going to get drawn in by our corny Christian t-shirts. They're not going to get drawn in by our persuasive arguments. It's just hearing the gospel and seeing the gospel lived out in our lives. It's our love for one another. It's the way that we will love Jesse and Don this week. It's a way that we will love a foster family the next week. It's a way that we will love a couple who loses their job the week after. Lord, imprint on our hearts this idea that we are a new family, that we put away old family ways of thinking. We don't, we don't act like families who are vindictive. We don't act like families who let tempers flare because of offense. Lord, in this family, let love be the reigning guide over all that we do. In this family, let us begin this journey of our family rules, of what our family does, by learning to sell something to bless someone. And make it a thing, Lord. Every time someone has a need, I pray that we would instantly think, what can I sell? What can I give up so that I can build up? I thank you, God, that Jesse and Don had no long-term head injuries sustained. I thank you, Lord, that the surgeries are underway or completed by now. I thank you, Lord, that we will have the opportunity to show John, Don and Jesse's friends 
your love. Bless us, God. Change our hearts. Make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.